Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. I know that this will be a giveaway on your age, but how many of you remember the Little Rascals? I love the Little Rascals. They, they were probably one of my favorite uh, shows when I was a little kid. And it, it occurs to me, this is completely off the subject, but it occurs to me that the Little Rascals as little tiny children, you know, three, four, five years old, they were still better actors than John Wayne ever was. Um, just, just, just saying. Anyhow. If you remember the Little Rascals, um, one of the things that the Little Rascals, that the, the boys formed was the He-Man Woman Haters Club. Remember that? And if you, if in order to be a part of the He-Man Woman Haters Club, you had to have the secret sign. Remember the secret sign? That, that was it. And this was, you know, this was the key to, to be, be in, to belong to, to their club. Now, I use that as, as a, a funny way to bring up something that's maybe not so funny, and that's the idea that we do this a lot in church as well. We have a secret code that we church people use, and, and we're, so we're kind of like the little rascals in that way. You know, it, it's what I call church jargon. You know, things like, are you saved? Or are you lost? Or, you know, um, Jesus is the way, or is Jesus your savior? You know, those are terms that uh, people who are not part of our little church club, you know, they don't understand. That, that doesn't make sense to them. What are we talking about? You know, if you ask someone, are you lost? And they'll say, well, I, I am in Brookfield, Missouri, right? I, I think that's where I am. You know, or, uh, you know, do I need saving? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm okay. You know, the idea of having a, a savior, you know, it sounds nice, but it's like, well, what exactly am I being saved from? Well, the Bible talks a lot about the fact that we need to be saved. And so what I want to do this morning is talk about, and the title of my sermon is Jesus saves from what? Well, the first thing that I want us to look at is the fact that Jesus saves us from our sins. And even the word sin is something that is only tied to the church. People out in the world don't, don't really use that term very much. And so I want us to spend some time today understanding this, this Bible language and make sure that we all understand what's really going on in the Bible. You know, the Bible teaches that Jesus saves us from a lot of different things, but the, I'm going to focus just on two things today. 
And I'm going to primarily try to use only scripture. I'm, I, I'm not going to um, put me forward, I, you know, because it's the word of God that matters. And it's the word of God that saves. It's the word of God that speaks to our hearts. And so I'm going to focus on using the word of God. Now, to begin with, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Joseph is betrothed to Mary. And... He finds out that she is pregnant and his intention is to do away with her, get rid of her because he's like, hey, I know I'm not the dad. And so he his intention is to divorce her quietly. And then an angel comes to Joseph and says, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what is sin exactly? Sin is any type of wrongdoing. Uh, in 1 John 5, 17, it says doing wrong is always sin. So it is any act of disobeying God. 1 John 3, 4 says anyone who sins breaks God's law. Yes, sinning is the same as living against God's law. The Bible also teaches that every single one of us has sinned. There are no exceptions. Romans 3.23, all, everybody has sinned and are not good enough to share God's divine greatness. The Bible also teaches that sin has consequences. You know, sin is the cost of all death, all suffering in the world. Every heartache, every headache you have ever had is the result of sin in your life and the result of sin in other people's lives. Romans 5.12 says, When Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, Romans 6.23, when people sin, <clears throat> excuse me, they earn what sin pays, death. But God gives his people a free gift, eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because we all sin, we have all brought upon ourselves God's anger, wrath, his judgment. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Colossians 5, or 3, begin with verse 5, says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Again, God 
looks down and what he sees is people who are in rebellion, people who are in defiance of who he is, in defiance of his character. He is God. We have to come around to his terms. He doesn't come around to our terms. And so as a result, God is going to judge every single detail of our lives. He's going to he's going to judge our thought process. Romans 2:16 says, "The day will surely come when at God's command, Jesus Christ will judge the secret lives of everyone, their inmost thoughts and motives." This is all part of God's great plan which I proclaim. Every thought you've ever had, and you're thinking, okay, I'm safe. I can think what I want because no one knows what I'm thinking unless I say it. Well, guess what? God is going to judge every thought. He's going to judge every word. And again, Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Even our deeds, the smallest deed, the smallest detail of our life is going to be held up to God's perfect vision. Romans 2, 5 through 6 says, But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn away from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. So the Bible is teaching that everyone sins and Jesus is, is going to be our judge. He is going to sit in judgment of our thoughts, of our actions, of our deeds, of every detail of our lives. Now, we may think, ah, well, so what? No big deal. But Jesus also talked about the fact that those people who do not measure up to him are going to a place that the Bible calls hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. He talked about hell as a real place. This is not some figurative place. It's not some symbolic place. It is a real place. Matthew 25, 41 and 46 says, Then he will say, this is Jesus, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And those will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hell exists because God is a God of righteousness and justice. God is, has to punish wrongdoing. It's not an option. He can't say, oh, I'll just look the other way. It's okay. That, that can't happen. God rules in perfect justice. He rules in perfect righteousness, in perfect holiness, and in perfect love. And so everything God does is perfect. But because of that, there are no exceptions. There is no gray area. Revelation 21, 10 and 11 says, he took me in, well, tell you what, uh, let me jump down for the sake of time. Uh, 
John is seeing a vision of heaven. And it says in verse 27, nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus saves us from our own sinfulness, from our, our own brokenness. Now, that leads to the second thing, that Jesus saves us from God's righteous wrath. You know, when, when we are sinners, we are condemned before God. And because we have sinned, because we have done what is evil in God's eyes, every human being is under judgment from God, and every human being is in line to suffer the wrath of God. Do you, you may not understand this or, or, or have ever thought about this, but every person is born spiritually dead. We are physically alive, but spiritually we are dead. And that's why Jesus said you have to be born again. There's a physical birth in all of us here. Well, okay, most of us here are physically alive. You know, there, there's a few that the, ver you know, the verdict's not so sure about. But we have to be born physically alive, and then we have to be born spiritually alive. And if that doesn't happen in a person's life, when they physically die, then spiritually they go into eternal punishment, hell. Ephesians 2, 1 begins, In the past you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past your lives were full of those sins. You lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like that, trying to please our sinful selves. We did all of the things our bodies and minds wanted. Like everyone else in the world, we deserve to suffer God's anger just because of the way we were. People often think that, well, as long as I'm better than other people, then I'm, I'm good. You know, as long as I'm not the worst. Y'all have heard the joke about if you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than one other person that's in the group. Yeah, let that sink in. Yeah, well, that's not the way salvation works. You don't have to just be a little bit better than someone else because that's not what we're being judged against. We're being judged against perfection. All of us are being judged against perfection. We must be perfect, absolutely without sin. Romans 3.20 says, Now do you see, no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. Now, we must be perfect. Now, we can try all we want. We can do the best we can, but all it's going to do is 
help us to realize we're not good enough. We, we can't measure up. As far as God is concerned, when I do my absolute best, or you do your absolute best, it's garbage. It's trash. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, we are all dirty with sin. Even our good works are not pure. They are like blood-stained rags. So this is the dilemma of every human being. There is not a single soul who is as good enough to measure up. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. None of us is good. We are all short of God's perfect standard. So how on earth can we ever be good enough for God? You know, we can't. So the Jews had the, the law and under the, the law of Moses, they had to offer sacrifices. And, and what they would do is they would kill a lamb and the blood would be offered as a sacrifice to God. Um, Hebrews 9.22 says, The law says that almost everything must be sprinkled with blood, and no sins can be forgiven unless blood is offered. Now that seems kind of gross to us in, in our highfalutin society today, but the reality is, no one can live perfectly. And God says, in order for you to be acceptable, because you are sinners, because you are broken, something has to die. Sin can only be covered. Sin can only be corrected by blood sacrifices. Now, remember, the law was never intended to make someone right with God. The law was intended to make people understand you can't be right with God. You are a broken person. So the issue became one of finding a way to be right with God. You know, a way that God would accept, uh, some, some way that God could say, yes, I accept you. Even though I know you're not perfect, I accept you. And God came up with the plan. It was God who did it, not us. There needed to be a way that sinners like you and me could be acceptable to God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Hebrews 1 this is speaking of Jesus. It says, in the past, God spoke to our people through the prophets. He spoke to them in many times and in different ways. And now in these last days, God has spoken to us again through his son. He made the whole world through the son, and he has chosen his son to have all things. The son shows the glory of God. He is a perfect copy of God's nature, and he holds everything together by his powerful command. The son made the people clean from their sins. Then he sat down at the right side of God, the great one in heaven. Jesus Christ, who is the divine, eternal son of God, fulfilled the law of God on our behalf by living holy, righteous, blameless. He did it all. And then he died as the perfect lamb of God. 
You know, in 1 Peter 2, it says, For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. He never sinned nor deceived anyone. Jesus is the only human being in the world who could be offered up as a sacrifice because he was the only perfect human to ever live. Jesus paid our sin debt and he releases us from the sentence of sin. You know, in Mark chapter 10, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, notice it doesn't say to give his life as a ransom for all. Not everybody is going to accept God's gift of salvation. There are going to be people who say, nah, that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't ring true for me. And those people will be on their own when they stand before God. Titus 2.14 says, He gave His life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us His very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. So by suffering and dying on the cross, He took our sins upon Himself. Colossians 1.19 says, God Himself was pleased to live fully in His Son, and God was pleased for Him to make peace by sacrificing His blood on the cross so that all beings in heaven and on earth would be brought back to God. You used to be far from God. Your thoughts made you His enemies, and you did evil things. But His Son became a human and died. So God made peace with you, and now He lets you stand in His presence as people who are holy and faultless and innocent. But you must stay deeply rooted and firm in your faith. You must not give up the hope you received when you heard the good news. It was preached to everyone on earth, and I, have, I myself have become a servant of this message. Do you understand that Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer to our struggle? He is the answer to the problems that we have. Colossians 2 says you were dead because you were sinful and were not God's people. But God let Christ make you alive when he forgave all our sins. God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. 1 Peter 2.24, Christ carried our sin in His body on the cross. He did this so that, you, that we would stop living for sin and live for what is right. By His wounds, you were healed. So God the Father, just, just get this thought, poured out all of His anger. I read earlier how we, we were storing up wrath. And so imagine, you know, God for, for all of creation, his, his wrath has been graining and gaining and growing and growing. And when Jesus went to the cross, God took all of the sin, all of the anger, all of the, the, the righteous indignation that he had stored up and he hammered it on Jesus. 
He drove it in on Jesus. He brought the total fierceness of God and brought it to bear on Jesus. So that when you and I stand before God, God's anger is gone. It's dissipated. It's taken away. If we are under the blood of Christ. Isaiah 53.10 says, The Lord decided His servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and guilt of others. That's, that's the whole point. That He, he pile-drived His anger into Jesus. Jesus became the sacrificial death. And that is the only thing that has satisfied God's holy and righteous wrath forever. Remember the story in the Bible that when Jesus died, the veil temple was torn in two. The whole point of that was that God was saying, I don't want any more lambs being sacrificed. That doesn't work. There is only one sacrifice that I will now accept, and that is the sacrifice of my son, Jesus. He is the Lamb of God. Ephesians 5.2 says, Let love be your guide. Christ loved us and offered his life for us as a sacrifice that pleases God. Hebrews 10.10, Jesus Christ did the things God wanted him to do. And because of that, we are made holy through the sacrifice of Christ's body. Christ made that sacrifice one time enough for all time. No one else can satisfy God's wrath. Jesus did it once and for all. And so now anybody that comes to God and say, well, I, I, I don't really need that. I'm coming on my own terms. In essence, what they're saying is, is God, Jesus wasn't, it wasn't good enough. I can do my own work. And when God says that or sees that, <laughs> he, you know what he's going to say? Go to hell. That, that's exactly what he's going to say. Hey, you, no, you're not righteous enough. Jesus' death on the cross made the settlement between God and us possible. Romans 5, beginning with verse 9, says, Now that God has accepted us because Christ sacrificed His life's blood, we will also be kept safe from God's anger. Even when we were God's enemies, He made peace with us because His Son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we will be saved by the life of His Son. And in addition to everything else, we are happy because God sent our Lord Jesus Christ to make peace with us. Now, if Jesus had died on the cross and stayed dead, he wouldn't have been any different than anybody else. But that's not what happened. God raised him from the dead on the third day, which this is what happened. God pulled a fast one on death. What he did was he said, okay, we're going to take all of the sins of everybody and I'm going to stick them on Jesus. And what is the result of sin? Sin. 
death. So when Jesus died, all of the sins died with him. And that's where they stayed. And then, G- and then God says, watch this. He raised Jesus from the dead. So all of a sudden, all of those sins that went to the death with Jesus are stuck in death. And Jesus comes alive and he says, Woohoo, here I am on the other side. I'm now free from sin. And everyone who believes in me and trusts in me and puts their faith in me, they are now free because they are following me. Their sins are still in the grave where I went. That's, that's the message of Christ. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead gives us a sure hope that one day we too will be raised in the same way. Romans 6 says, Don't you know that all who share in Christ Jesus by being baptized also share in His death? When we were baptized, we died and were buried with Christ. We were baptized so we would live a new life. As Christ was raised to life by the glory of God the Father, if we share in Jesus' death by being baptized, we will be raised to life with Him. Have you committed your life to Christ? That's that's the first question that you have to answer. I'm not talking, have you just prayed a prayer or have you just walked down an aisle or, or something like that? You know, did you raise your hand in a service? That's not salvation. Salvation is saying, I give my life over to God. I commit my life to obedience to God. God promises that everyone who devotes themselves to his son, Jesus, making him their Lord and Savior, then they will be given eternal life in God's presence. John 3.16, God loved the people of this world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who has faith in him will have eternal life and never really die. Instead of being the objects of God's wrath, we instead become adopted children of God, being given God's Holy Spirit. This is the message of Christianity. You know, it's not about um, just having having an easy life. It's not just about give, being given fire insurance so that you can live however you want and then one day you get to go to heaven. It's about you commit your life to Christ. You surrender yourself. It is a unconditional surrender. The only way that you can be saved is by totally committing yourself to Jesus Christ. And, and the consequence, if you don't, is that you will suffer the holy, righteous wrath of God. When you die, you're going to stand before God and God's going to judge you. And he's going to say, you, you fall short. You do not measure up. You lived a life of sin against me. You lived a life of rebellion against me. And the result is I have no choice but to punish you. And that is, I am going to send you to a place that I originally prepared for Satan and his his followers, a place called hell. 
That's not what God wants. God loves you. He doesn't want that any should perish, but that all should be saved through Jesus. You were, Ephesians 2 says you were saved by faith in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything that we have done on, or that you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned. So there's nothing you can brag about. All of us are filthy sinners, period. The only salvation we have is to come under the blood of Christ and say, I am not worthy. Jesus is. His blood covers my sin. It's not a matter of being good enough. But once you understand that's the condition, that we are sinners, and the only way we can be saved is under the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus, then for the rest of our natural days, we live a life setting ourselves apart and saying, God, I now belong to you. I devote myself to you. I will do anything and everything so that my life lines up with you. Period. That is Christianity. And if you're living anything other than that, then you are not living a Christian life. And you were probably not saved. Romans 5, again, I've read this earlier. Now that God has accepted us because Christ sacrificed His life's blood, we will also be kept safe from God's anger. Even when we were God's enemies, He made peace with us because His Son died for us. Yet something even greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, we will be saved by the life of His Son. In addition to everything else, we are happy because God sent our Lord Jesus Christ to make peace with us. This is, this is the call of Christ. Have you committed your life to Christ? Again, I'm not saying, did you join a church or did you pray a prayer? Have you committed your life to Christ? Which means that you say, I am dead to me from this day forward. I am going to live a life of commitment and devotion to Christ and to his, his teachings, to his principles. I am going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, even if it costs me everything else. Because I know that when I, I do that, it pleases God. And when I do that, I am assured that when I die physically, I will spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven. If I choose not to do that, if I live my life the way it seems best to me, then when I die, I'm going to stand before God and God's going to say, you chose not to devote yourself to me. I'm God. I get the respect. I am Lord. And you chose not to make me that. And so you are under judgment. Where are you in this? Today is the day that if you understand what I'm saying and you have not committed your life to Christ, today needs to be the time that you do it. 
you need to say, God, please forgive me. I turn away from my life of sin. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, at this time, the only thing that matters is that each person that is a part of this service, whether they're listening here in the room or whether they're online, the only thing that really matters is that they are hearing from you, from your Holy Spirit. Father, my prayer is that each and every one of us will be honest and open and that each and every one of us will be responding to you right now. Father, may your will be done in each of our lives. May your Holy Spirit be free to work in our midst. And Father, where there needs to be brokenness and repentance, I pray for that. I pray that you will, you will bring us crashing down. Let your, let your Holy Spirit win in each of our hearts. Father, this is your time. May your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.